What's going on, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So, for about the last year or so, I've been telling you about multiple conspiracies from the government, media, quote-unquote, the powers that be, the powers that be, making a concerted effort to suppress the truth and information about the coronavirus from the public of the world. What if I were to tell you guys other information is being suppressed, but information about the origins of humans, information about the age of humans. What if I told you this suppression was coming not only from academia, but from those that actually control academia, the power brokers, the people that hold the purse strings, because as with everything in life, it always comes down to money. So today, I'm going to tell you about different archaeological discoveries that have been made and fucking documented multiple times since Darwinian's theory of evolution was made back in the 1800s. And I'm going to tell you about a man who spent his whole life researching this phenomena. So sit back and get ready for this. So before we even get started, I have to tell you guys, I got most of my information today from a book called Forbidden Archaeology, and it was written by Richard L. Thompson and Michael Cremo. Go check it out. There is so much more evidence they list in this book. It's literally eight years of research that they put into this, and so obviously I'm not going to be able to cover all of their evidence. I'm just going to cover kind of what stood out to me. But... Go out there, buy it, pirate it, I don't care, borrow it. Just go see what these guys are saying, because I think they may be onto something. So I'm sure most of you have heard of the Baghdad batteries. And that's kind of in the same vein where I'm going today, but not exactly. Because the Baghdad batteries actually carbon date to ancient Iraq, and, you know, nothing's fucking crazy. It's coming from ancient Mesopotamia. It's just technology they shouldn't have had. What I'm specifically speaking about is primary archaeological evidence of bones, human tools, or evidence on animal bones of human intervention, i.e. incisions on bones. I'm talking about that kind of stuff, but encased in rock that's 300 million years old. Now, of course, the mainstream academia detractors of anyone that speaks out against the official timeline narrative of the human race, they will just, you know, give you some super complex explanation on to why this happened. One of the explanations they have given is Say, you know, a thousand years ago, homeboy dies, homeboy's friends bury him down, and they just happen to go so far that it hits an area of rock that is, say, three million years old. Fast forward a thousand years, when Indiana fucking Jones comes with his shovel, digs it up, and these rocks are carbon dated, and they come back millions of years old. That is one explanation. But, what if that doesn't cover every situation? So what I'm about to tell you about is a skull found in Castendolo, Italy in the 1880s by geologist Giuseppe Ragazzoni. 
the geologists found fossil bones of several Homo sapiens in layers of Pliocene sediment three to four million years old. Ragazzoni was an experienced geologist at this point, and he was well aware of this complex human burial hypothesis of how these skeletons were getting so low and encased in million-year-old rocks. So he was extremely careful to not possibly disturb the different layers of dirt, rock, and sediment. Modern scientists have used radiometric and chemical tests to attach recent ages to the Castandolo bones and other anonymously old human skeleton remains, but the tests are obviously quite unreliable. The carbon-14 test is especially shaky when applied to bones, such as those from Castandolo, that have lain in museums for decades. Such bones are exposed to contamination that can make the test yield abnormally young dates. To remove such contamination requires rigorous purification techniques. Scientists failed to use those techniques when, in 1969, they tested some Castandolo bones and found the age to be less than a thousand years old. So, although the carbon-14 date for the Castandolo material is suspect, it must still be considered relevant evidence. It should also be weighed with other evidence, though, including the original stratigraphic observations of Ragazzoni. In this case, the stratigraphic evidence appears more persuasive. So an opposition on theoretical grounds to a human presence in the Pliocene is not new. Speaking of the Castandello finds and other of similar antiquity, the scientist G. Sergei once wrote in 1884, quote unquote, by means of despotic scientific prejudice, call it what you will, every discovery of human remains in the Pliocene has been discredited. So these motherfuckers knew about the suppression of information even way back in the 1800s. Look, guys, that shit's nothing new. Shocking. Hmm. So, a good example of such prejudice is provided by R.A.S. McAllister. In 1921, in a textbook on archaeology, he wrote, The acceptance of a Pliocene date for the Castandello skeletons would create so many insoluble problems that we can hardly hesitate in choosing between the alternatives of adopting or rejecting their authenticity. I've actually come across this argument a few times. I did an episode on giants, like different mythology and stories, legendary stories of giants throughout the world and different civilizations at different times in human history. And one of the army officers reporting about the so-called fight with the red-headed giant in Afghanistan, his conclusion was the same. It would rewrite all of the Darwinian Judeo-Christianity evolution that America is basically kind of written and based upon, and we'd have to come up with something different. It would literally shake the foundations of human origins as we know it. So the next thing I'm going to tell you about are some footprints that were discovered in 1976 by an archaeologist named Mary Leakey. Mary Leakey and her group were in Tanzania and apparently they stumbled upon some footprints that were made in volcanic ash around three million years ago. Now at the time Mary had hypothesized that Yes, this footprint 
absolutely did belong to a three million year old hominoid. But that hominoid had the exact same feet as modern day humans. Yeah, sounds totally likely. So what we know of the humans of that time, they were called Australopithecus afarinus, and their fossils were discovered in 1978. Their fossils had been found in a similar area in Tanzania where these footprints were discovered, but according to the Smithsonian-sponsored website Human Origins, we do know that they were capable of walking upright on two legs but they would have walked differently than modern humans do today. So what would their bipedal locomotion look like? We literally have no idea. Out of the 300 fossils we've found of that particular early human ancestor, we found one partial foot fossil. So it's just fucking speculation and it just seems kind of crazy to me that these motherfuckers want us to believe that some three million year old human ancestor, not even fucking humans, an ancestor of humans have the exact same fucking feet as we do. Sorry, not buying it, homeboys. So bringing back those super strange, weird findings and archaeological records to the beautiful United States and more importantly, California. During the gold rush in Tulumane County, there is a mountain called Table Mountain. And a lot of the gold rush miners used to come to the Sierra Nevadas and try to find their fortune with the fucking gold rush. So, Table Mountain is generally accepted to contain rock that is around 10 million years old. Well, miners during the 1850s would dig thousands of feet into the sides of these mountains and they came away with hundreds of different artifacts. Some of them were skeletons, some of them were arrowheads. A lot of them were mortars and pestles. Dr. L.D. Whitney, who was a geologist for the United States and Harvard educated, is actually the one that wrote up the reports on what these miners in the California gold rush found. He wrote up multiple reports and sent it back to Washington, D.C. Well, check this shit out. Anthropologist running the Smithsonian at the time, William B. Holmes, basically just completely derided all of the reports. He actually wrote, If Whitley understood the theory of evolution, he wouldn't have published the reports. So yet again, more information stranglehold by the elite. And yes, I'm saying the Smithsonian Institute is part of that elite little ring of assholes. Because who do you think paid the bills and possibly still pays the bills, aka grants, to the Smithsonian and different museums across the world? Another interesting find in the United States was in McCoupin County, Illinois. There was a skeleton found in the 1840s that was found 90 feet underground. The Geological Survey of Illinois did state that the coal where the skeleton was found encased was 300 million years old. So now I'm going to read you an excerpt from a publication called the Geologist, and it's dated December 1862. In McCoupin County, Illinois, the bones of a man were recently found on a coal bed 
caked with two feet of slate rock, ninety feet below the surface of the earth. The bones, when found, were covered with a crust or coating of hard, glossy matter, as black as coal itself, but when scraped away, left the bones white and natural. So basically, they're saying the coal in which the remains were found to have been dated at between 320 and 286 million years old, which, despite a lack of supporting evidence and little information on the discovery, is certainly worth talking about because it keeps fucking happening. Another interesting find is one called the Fox Hall Jaw. So the better documented account of an anomalous find is of a human jaw discovered in Fox Hall, England, and that was back in 1855. So apparently some miners dug this 16 feet from underground in a rock quarry, and they dated the specimen to at least 2.5 million years old. The appearance of the skull is actually what kind of created all the uproar. This particular fossil had a very modern appearance. You would kind of expect a more ape-like mandible from something that was 2.5 million years old. So many dissenters disbelieved the authenticity of the bones, probably because the shape of the jaw was not primitive. So yet again, we got an anatomically modern fossil encased in rock that's millions of years old with no apparent explanation. So now that I've told you about a few of these different discoveries that are listed in Forbidden Archaeology, we're going to move on to maybe different reasons why and how this information is getting bottlenecked and not coming down to everyone else. But before we do that, I'm going to take us back to the California Table Mountain discovery of the Gold Rush Miners. So back in the 90s, the author of this book, Michael Cremo, was asked to consult on a production by NBC. Now, apparently the producers of this show had actually read his book and was kind of a fan of Forbidden Archaeology. So they were going to do a program kind of based on that. And they were going to go on the Table Mountain Discoveries. It just so happens a lot of these artifacts are still held at a museum in Berkeley, California. Well, the producers of this show went to that museum and shockingly, the curators refused to let them have access. So a lot of these artifacts are still in different museums around the world today. Earlier, I was telling you about the archeologist Giuseppe Ragazzoni and his discovery of that human skull in Castendolo, Italy. He actually had a whole room in the Lisbon, Portugal Museum of Geology. And up until his death, they had his discoveries of different bones and bone fragments that were encased in million-year-old rocks displayed throughout that room. After his death, his colleagues quietly went and switched some of the dates so it reflected 20,000 years old, not 20 million years old. And even more recently, all of his discoveries have been put in boxes and put into storage. So that's two examples of this hiding of information from the public. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit of how they did the research for this book. Basically, kind of what sparked their interest in out-of-place archaeological discoveries was the fact that both of the authors of the book are kind of into, like, ancient Indian 
historical documents. More specifically, the Puranas of Vedas. Now, I could be saying that wrong, but that's basically, it's like ancient Hindu texts. And apparently in these texts, it states that humans were definitely around 300 plus million years ago. So what they wanted to do was see if there was any evidence to support these ancient Hindu documents. So what did they do? They went around and they found primary and secondary sources of archaeological digs. All of the primary sources for archaeological digs, from Darwinian's theory of evolution in the 1840s up into the time of this book, which was written in the 1990s. That's a lot of fucking information, you guys. It took them eight years to go over multiple different language archaeological reports. And the interesting find was they found multiple primary reports of archaeological finds of ancient skeletons, tools, and stone mortars and pestles in primary archaeological documents but not one in secondary archaeological documents. So primary archaeological documents are going to be the actual reports and papers written by the archaeologists themselves. That's primary. Secondary information is going to be archaeological and science texts taught to students in different universities and or high schools. So that's kind of the information filter we're talking about today. So all of these finds are well documented throughout human archaeology, but none of these accounts make it to the textbooks being taught to students. Hmm. It seems like what's happening over time is when an anomalous archaeological discovery is made, it's kind of just uh, discounted or some other crazy explanation has come up with it. But the suppression of evidence is definitely illustrated by all the anomalous finds throughout history. The evidence now tends to be extremely obscure, and it also tends to be surrounded by a neutralizing nimbus of negative reports, themselves obscure, dating from a time when the evidence was being actively rejected. Since these reports are genuinely quite derogatory, they may discourage those who read them from examining the rejected evidence further. However, the negative reports generally provide many references to the earlier positive reports. When these are examined in detail, it's often found that they contain a wealth of detailed information and reasoning not adequately dealt with in the later negative critiques. Thus, to properly evaluate anomalous evidence, there is no alternative to examining in detail the arguments and evidence presented in the original reports. And that's basically what these two authors did for eight years. And with the eight years of going over the world's archaeological records for the last almost 200 years, they were able to fill up this book with example after example. There's fucking hundreds of examples in here with different types of evidence to back up their theories that you guys should definitely check out this book. I'm going to tell you about one more notorious fossil discovered in the gold rush mines of California, and it's called the Calaveras skull, as in Calaveras County. The state geologist of California, J.D. Whitney, the same one I was telling you about earlier, actually described the circumstances surrounding this find. 
In February 1866, Mr. Madison, who was the principal owner of a mine on Bald Hill near Angels Creek, removed this skull from a layer of gravel 130 feet below the surface. The gravel was near bedrock, underneath several distinct layers of volcanic material. Volcanic eruptions began in this region during the Oligocene, continued through the Miocene, and ended in the Pliocene. Since the skull occurred near the bottom of the sequence of interspersed gravel and lava layers at the Bald Hill, it would seem likely that the gravel in which the skull was found was older than the Pliocene, perhaps much older. After finding the skull, medicine later carried it to Mr. Scribner, an agent of Wells Fargo and Co.'s Express at Angels. Mr. Scribner's clerk, Mr. Matthews, cleaned off part of the incrustations covering most of the fossil. Upon recognizing that it was part of a human skull, he sent it to Dr. Jones, who lived in the nearby village of Murphy's, and was an enthusiastic collector of such items. Dr. Jones wrote to the office of the Geological Survey in San Francisco, and after receiving a reply, he forwarded the skull to this office, where it was examined by Whitney. Whitney at once made a journey to Murphy's and Angel's, where he personally questioned Mr. Madison, who confirmed the report that was given by Dr. Jones. Both Scribner and Jones were personally known to Whitney and regarded by him as trustworthy. On June 16, 1866, Whitney presented to the California Academy of Sciences a report on the Calaveras skull, affirming that it was found in Pliocene strata. The skull caused a great sensation in America. According to Whitney, the religious press in the country took the matter up and were quite unanimous in declaring the Calaveras skull to be a hoax. One paper reported, We believe the whole story worthy of no scientific credence, and there are also more fully established in the belief by the declaration of an able congressionalist minister, who has preached for some time in the region, and who told us that the miners freely told him that they purposely got up on the whole affair as a joke on Professor Whitney. So, just basically saying this was just a whole big scam to put one over on Professor Whitney. Another religious paper, called The Congregationist, in September 27, 1867, reported that Skull had been placed in the mine by some mischievous miners as a hoax upon one of their own number, who was of an anti-scriptural and geological turn of mind. He swallowed the hoax and carried the news to Professor Whitney, who thereupon secured the skull for the State Museum. So it's like the religious institutions have a definite reason why they would not want some shit like this coming out. And obviously those religious lobbyists have a lot of money for politicians. And you know, the only thing that fucking moves politicians is money, power, and fucking media. So, you know, there's a lot of very, very powerful different players that would definitely have reasons for this type of information to be suppressed. So after an investigation of all this full-heartedly hoax bullshit, the people at the center of this mystery were interviewed. The miner and his wife, who confirmed again that he had brought the encrusted skull home from his mine, where he had found it at a depth of 128 feet. It had remained in the Madison household for a year. And when shown a picture of the skull from Whitney's book, Miss Madison recognized the skull as the same one she had kept for that year. So now I'm just going to give you guys kind of an example 
what will happen to a scientist or archaeologist that kind of speaks out against the narrative. Archaeologist Thomas E. Lee, who is an anthropologist at the National Museum of Canada. So according to Lee, he excavated several sites around Lake Huron, and he actually found a lot of different artifacts. He found scraping tools, he found arrowheads, all kinds of different tools, basically. He found them in many different layers as well in the sediment. So we're talking about, you know, anywhere from 150,000 years old to 30,000 years old. But according to the mainstream narrative, those timelines were way too old. Mainstream archaeology was saying that no artifact should be more than 12,000 years old at this lake here on site. This is a quote from Lee. Several prominent geologists who examined the numerous excavations in process during the four years that Shenandoah privately expressed the belief that the lower levels of the Shenandoah site are interglacial, such was the climate in professional circles, one of jealousy, hostility, skepticism, antagonism, obstructionism, and persecution. That on the advice of the famed authority, Dr. Ernest Antebs of Arizona, a lesser date of 30,000 years minimum was advanced in print by some of the geologists to avoid ridicule and gain partial acceptance from the more serious scholars. But even that minimum was too much for the protagonists of the fluted Point First Americans myth. The site's discoverer was hounded from a civil service position into prolonged unemployment. Publication outlets were cut off. The evidence was misrepresented by several prominent authors among the Brahims. The tons of artifacts vanished into storage bins of the National Museum of Canada. For refusing to fire the discoverer, the national director of the museum, Dr. Jacques Rousseau, who had proposed having a monograph on this site published, was he himself fired and driven into exile. Official positions of prestige and power were exercised in an effort to gain control over just six of Dr. Lee's specimens that had not gone undercover. And this site has been turned into a tourist resort. All of this without the profession, in four long years, bothering to take a look when there was still time to look. So it's basically like, if you happen to make one of these anomalous discoveries, keep your mouth fucking shut. If you happen to agree with one of these anomalous theories, keep your mouth fucking shut. If you happen to back up a colleague who has discovered one of these anomalous things, don't back them up or else you will lose everything you've worked for. It's kind of the same story as today. If you're a whistleblower doing the right thing and letting the public know about some fuckery, you better expect to lose everything. If you have a new idea that's completely outside of what your peers are going to accept, be prepared to be ridiculed and have everything you've worked for derided as fantasy or conspiracy. Seems like pioneers in all new areas kind of get this same shit year after year. You step out of the norm, you step out of the box, everyone's going to basically say and accuse you of being a lunatic. These uh, pioneers of different ideas, ideas outside of the social norms, it's got to take some fucking balls to put everything on the line, to back up something you believe in like this. And I say that's what's up. I salute crazy people that are 
confident enough in themselves to risk it all just to bring truth to the public. So guys, that's about it for this week. Like I said earlier, go check out that book, Forbidden Archaeology, and that's by Michael A. Cremo and Richard L. Thompson. There's a couple of videos on YouTube if you don't want to fucking read the book because it is a long-ass book, but I highly recommend the book. Do that if you want to actually dive into this subject. But yeah, there's maybe one or two videos on YouTube. You'll get some of the information. You won't get nearly as much as the evidence they present. I'm fucking not even joking, you guys. It's page after page of these primary accounts of anomalous archaeological evidence that is anywhere from 300 million years old to just a few million years old. But it's all out of the current accepted timeline of human origins. Now, before I run out of here today, I do have to thank my top three downloading states, which are California, Texas, and Massachusetts. What's up, guys? Massachusetts is definitely a new one. I've seen you guys lurking before, but you've never been in top three. So that's what's up. Thank you so much. I appreciate your downloads. And as I always tell you, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao. Are you long?